Listener supported. WNYC Studios. This is Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing, my chance to talk with artists, policymakers, and performers. To hear their stories, what inspires their creations, what decisions changed their careers, what relationships influenced their work. How did you take your coffee this morning? And where did you take it from? If you're like tens of millions of your neighbors, you visited a Starbucks in the last week. The 30-year-old coffee chain has become every bit as much an American icon as McDonald's and every bit as ubiquitous. Howard Schultz is the company's longtime CEO. Operating out of the company's Seattle headquarters, he's overseen a worldwide expansion. In the process, he's become one of the most successful businessmen in the world. But before he became a coffee magnate, Howard Schultz was a Brooklyn boy who was anything but. No money. Yeah. My dad was had a series of just awful blue-collar jobs and uh, no money. Uh, how many siblings? Brother and sister younger. Three. But it's very tough. So what did you do? Where'd you go? I went to school in northern Michigan, in Marquette, Michigan. You probably have never heard of that no, place. In the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. And uh, went there to play football. I had a problem in that I was thought I was really good until I got to Michigan. And I had a guy in front of me who turned out to be Steve Mariucci. Oh, my God. Great guy, and he was a great college player. And I was not good enough, to, to make a long story short. Right. So I, didn't, I did not play football. I got hurt when I was 18, broke my jaw, had a concussion. And, uh, but I stayed and finished school there. When I finished school, I went to work for Xerox. Um, where, there for, where were they? In Manhattan. You, you came, came back to New York. York. Moved back into my parents' house and apartment in Brooklyn. Took the subway. My job at Xerox was to make 50 cold calls a day. I did that for three years. Uh, did not you, only cold did calls, you hate it? I loathed it. <laughs> right. Uh, but it was great training. And but you knew you had to do it. I knew I had to do that, and I, I, you know, I was making, making $1,000 a month, and I gave half of it to my mom living at home. I had one suit, two shirts. It was, but I was, you know, I was 22 years old. I didn't know any better, and I was happy. I mean, you relative. had one suit and two shirts. Yeah. How many suits and shirts do you have now? I'm just kidding. Never mind. Don't answer that. <laughs> now, when you, you gave half the money to your mom, and, and you were living, they were in Brooklyn still. They were still in Brooklyn. And you're taking the train to work every day. Yeah. And then what changed? I knew I had to get out. I just I had this entrepreneurial dream and and uh, vision for myself. I remember telling my mom I was leaving Xerox. She started crying, and I, I I was very fortunate. I got a job with a Swedish company that was opening up a U.S. division as the general manager, and kind of sold myself beyond my capability, and uh, worked for them for a few years. And that was the the beginning of kind of realizing the potential and capability I had to, to, to do something on my own. And that company you went to was where? Based in Sweden with a New York office. And what did they do? They sold um, very high-end housewares, and one of the products was a non-electric coffee maker. What powered it? Which is a drip coffee maker? No, it was just non-electric. It was just a, a pour-over. Yeah, hot water on a top. Yeah, and um, they sold a product to a small company in Seattle, Washington that had three stores, and that company was Starbucks. And they only roasted beans. They didn't serve coffee. You, you've done your homework. Right. And I went out to Seattle on a day where it was majestic. It was like 
I, it was like Wizard of Oz type, sunny, the snow-capped mountains, fresh air. Uh, I was dating my girlfriend, who's now my wife, and I called her and said, this is where we have to live. And I spent the next year and a half trying to convince the founder of Starbucks, who had three stores, to hire me. And he ultimately did. We moved out to Seattle in September of 82. We had three stores that year. Uh, he sent me, you want this whole story? Of course I do. Uh, they sent me to Italy. I went to Milan for the first time to a trade show. And uh, as you know, in Milan and Italy, there's coffee bars everywhere. And as I was walking the streets in Milan, uh, I kept bumping into another coffee bar, I kept going in. And I could see the sense of community and the sense of place and that the beverage was so romantic and brought people together. And I raced back from Italy and sat down with the founder of the company and said, I, I just think we're in the wrong part of the business. We should, we should integrate the business into the beverage. And they didn't want to do it. Long story short is I left Starbucks. I opened my own Italian coffee bar with no money. In Seattle? In Seattle. How many? Just one? Uh, three. Two in Seattle, one in Vancouver, B.C. Then Starbucks Coffee Company acquired another company in California called Pete's Coffee. Right. Pete Hine. Uh, and Pete's and Starbucks came together, and a year later, Starbucks got into financial trouble. The founder of Starbucks came to me when they had six stores and said, I'm going to keep Pete's and sell Starbucks. But I had no money uh, to, to So where did you get the money to, to buy Starbucks? Uh, I knocked on everyone's door I knew, and finally I raised – I bought Starbucks in uh, August of 87 for $3.8 million dollars. And all $3.8 million was money that was not mine. I had to raise it. And um, at the end of 87, we had 11 stores, 100 employees, losing money. And then I had to raise money to try and build a national company. And I had this crazy idea. And the idea was, in the back of my mind, I kept dreaming about what I needed to do for my dad. And my dad died in 87. And I, I wanted to try and build the kind of company he never got a chance to work for. So the entire business model was trying to balance profit with conscience, benevolence, and social impact. So the first thing I did was uh, everyone at Starbucks was going to be an owner. So I gave ownership to every employee in 87, which I've done since then. And I gave comprehensive health insurance, first company in America to provide comprehensive health way before the Affordable Care Act. For every single person that works for you? Yes. Yeah. What does that cost you a year? Uh, before the Affordable Care Act, it cost $300 million a year, more than the cost of coffee beans for Starbucks. People thought I was crazy. And I was trying to raise money at the same time I had all these ideas. And people said, wait, you want to- Let's get rid of that component. Yeah. And I said, no. I said, I'm going to prove to you that we will have lower attrition, higher performance, and our customers will know what we're doing for our people, and it will resonate with the brand, and this is going to be our marketing strategy. Do you continue to do that now? You still do that now? Well, not only do we do that now, but as an example, this year alone, we're first company in America to give free college tuition to every employee. What does that cost? <laughs> I can't keep asking you this. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. But all these things ladder up to balancing the company's mission, our core purpose and reason for being. We're not in business just to make money. We have to make money. Right. We have to build shareholder value. And we've done extremely well. I mean, the market cap of, the, of Starbucks is, is quite large. Right. How many countries? 
to 75. 20, 75 countries, 22,000? 25,000 25,000 stores. Now, what's an example of a place? I mean, you, you when you... When you leave, uh, you had the two in Seattle and the one in Vancouver. Those are Starbucks. Uh, those became coffee bars, correct? Those three. The uh, yes, three yes, bars. yes. And, and when you yeah. get beyond, when you get beyond Seattle in that area, where yeah. do you go next? Where's the next place you? Where's the next beachhead that you break into? Well, the last few years, I think the most successful place we've been is China. Right. But we've been there a long time. But in the U.S., where did you go first? Well, uh, where do we go from? Right. Uh, we went from Seattle to Portland to Chicago. Uh, we struggled in Chicago. Why? It was just, uh, it took a long time for Chicago people to understand what we were trying to do. <laughs> and uh, a lot of people lost faith in what we were trying to do. But finally it hit. Uh, I went to L.A. L.A. was a huge success overnight. And then we came to New York. And uh, my mother came to that opening on 87th and Broadway. When you look at what Starbucks is now, did you ever dream it was going to be no, people I... having a coconut, Martian, backflip, frappuccino, you know, every possible... Iteration. I, I'm told there's 85,000 gyrations to customization at Starbucks. I, I never imagined that customers would start telling people exactly what they wanted. But I think one of the drivers of our success has been our ability to customize what you want when you want it. But no, I, never, I mean, our original business plan when I was raising the original money was 100 stores. And I was having a terrible time. And I, I didn't have enough money to reprint the business plan. So I crossed out 100 and wrote 75. I, I mean, that's how tight things were. Um, but no, I never imagined we would have this kind of impact or grow the company this large. What's something that you want to do that you're not sure you can do? What's something you'd like Starbucks to? Today. Right, what's, what's a thing you've dreamed about for a while that you'd like to do that you're not quite sure you can do it? Well, in Seattle, a year and a half ago, um, I had this 10-year idea to build the Willy Wonka of coffee. So a a traditional Starbucks store is less than 2,000 feet. And we started designing and building almost a 20,000-square-foot Disney-like experience in Seattle. And people – and it's at great expense. I mean, very, very expensive. Big bet where we're roasting in the store, we're doing all kinds of things, but it's more than a store. And people thought, this is the beginning of the end. This guy has lost it. That store has turned out to be a mecca for tourists and everyone who comes close to the city of Seattle. We're now under construction in New York on the corner of 9th and 15th. For the same operation? Well, that one will be 25,000 square feet, two levels, next to the Chelsea Market and across from Google. And we're under construction in Shanghai with one that will even be bigger. Uh, I don't know if these things will have the same level of impact. I believe it will. Uh, but we have to keep reinventing and keep dreaming. And, and you can't embrace the status quo of running a business today. It's just too hard. And it's too many challenges. What's a country that you were going to go to? I remember I was with my friend in 19 19- in the early 90s, and I went to Paris to visit him. And we spent many days together. We went to a restaurant, and I ordered something and asked for some simple modification on the food on the menu. And the man literally, I mean, like a, like a, like a Saturday Night Live sketch, the man said, we are not Eddie McDonald's now, sir. And he just barked at me, just snapped at me. And I thought, what's the foreign country that gave you the most grief in terms of the ethic of Starbucks and where they're at about coffee? We are open in Paris and France. I've done fairly well there, but we have never entered Italy uh, as a result of the respect that I've had for the heritage of coffee. However, 
we are going to Italy for the first time at the end of calendar 17. You are. Where? In Milan. Milan. At a location that is just going to stun people. <laughs> so we'll see. That's. I mean, this will be the big... You're not building the big 20,000-square-foot Hershey chocolate factory of coffee over there, are you? There's something close. Okay. All right. Well, you're going you're gonna to get their attention. You're going to get their attention. But respectfully. Were you prepared for how much people have made coffee in general a part of their lives? Because when I was a kid, no. people had a cup of coffee. I mean, my mother had Chase and Sanborn. Right. You know all the names from that. You know, uh, Martinson's. Um, you'd go Horn and Hardert's. Uh, these places like the the Automat, like in New York. I mean, people had a cup of coffee. Some people drank m- coffee. But people who drank a lot of coffee were viewed as kind of pushing the envelope, you know what I mean? And now it seems like people have told themselves they can't drink enough coffee. I mean, they, they, they don't feel that there's any harmful effects. Do you guys study that? Do you have any eye toward, not that I'm equating yeah. you with the tobacco industry, no, but no, do you but have I any, any concerns question. Uh, two things. One, I think uh, the the success that we have enjoyed and the way in which people have embraced coffee as a beverage, an indulgent beverage and a ritual in the morning, so much of all of that is linked to Starbucks becoming this third place between home and work and the sense of community where the rise of technology has created such secular behavior and people are longing for human connection even if they're in there alone. And so the Starbucks really, be, re, when you said alcohol, what it triggered in me is we replaced the pub in a way. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has. Because uh, that, that's not where people want to go. Uh, but uh, we have studied uh, a lot of the issues of caffeine. And the, the interesting thing is the most uh, medical journals, and most recently the New England Journal of Medicine, coffee is quite healthy and medicinal. Especially God, I hope so. With oh, the yeah. amount of coffee I you drink. You look pretty mind. good. No, I've, I'll tell you stories, but go ahead. Uh, but I, I don't drink any caffeine after 4 p.m. Right. I just have enough. Right. Uh, but I drink about four to five cups a day. You but, do. How but, do you like your coffee? This is the question everybody wants to know. <laughs> Depending How on does the, Howard Schultz take I, I drink coffee? a doppio espresso macchiato in the morning, first thing. Then I have a French press of aged Sumatra. That's what I drink throughout the day. Aged Sumatra. Yeah. It's pr- black. Black. Yeah. What about you? Uh, I drink... Um, in the summertime, uh, when I go to Starbucks, I like Starbucks espresso. Okay. Or I like their cold brew in the summertime. That I cold brew is co- fantastic. I take the cold brew, it's good. Because I do want someone to ring my bell. If I drink that <sighs> coffee and I don't feel that special feeling, like someone kicks me right in the seat of the pants and I'm ready. Uh, we used to joke, I mean, this is going to sound like a really vulgar analogy, but we used to have a drink we call the Nazi. And we called it a Nazi because it came into your bedroom and pulled you out of bed in the early mor- in the more early morning hours, threw you against the wall, and slapped you across the face five times to wake you up. It was four shots of espresso over ice That's a lot. with some soy milk. That's uh, how I started my day for years. Really? You know, I mean, the other thing is, like, well, I always remember when they or when they had the book Fatal Vision, the Jeffrey McDonald murder case, yeah. and I was going to play him in a movie. And in the book, they say that part of his defense was he suffered from caffeine psychosis. He said, McDonald said he drank too much coffee, and that made him go off the deep end. And I thought, well, I've got to calm down. <laughs> but you have the uh, Sumatran, black. Aged Sumatran. Aged Sumatran. Have you had an aged coffee ever? Have you tasted it? No. Are you a black coffee guy? Uh, sometimes. I'd like espresso. I'm going to send you something that you'll find extraordinary. Right. Now, um, so you stayed out of Italy. Where has it been a big success overseas? Where have they just oh, taken I, to it? 
Well, we talked about China. We have 2,500 stores in 100 cities in China. The wonderful thing, story about China is the person who runs China is a, is a woman who's uh, very strong. We have a completely Chinese team who was based in Shanghai who has managed and built that company supported by a lot of resources from Seattle and Hong Kong. We're in a lot of countries, but we own most of the China business ourselves. Right. Um, one thing that people don't understand is we don't franchise our stores. You own them? We own them. All of them? Yes. Every single one of them? Every single one except for stores that are either in airports or in other stores. Because you're not allowed to own them. Yeah. Right. But, and this goes back to the culture of the company. So much of what we've succeeded in is based on the values and culture of the company. And I never believed we could do that in a franchise system where the people weren't working for the company. So we have 330,000 employees who work for Starbucks. I want you to know that when my wife and I are driving uh, to Long Island, we stop at the Starbucks on Manorville Road on exit 70 there by the bank. Next to the bank. My wife and I go there all the time. We are, and I'm telling you, I hope, I don't mean to tell you your business, but send those ladies a bouquet of flowers from you. They, that is the greatest Starbucks in America. So glad to hear that. Those ladies, they got a rows of people. It's, it's like the Alamo. <laughs> people come in there wanting their coffee. Then they want to jump in that car. They want to get going through the traffic. So they just need the coffee just to make the rest of the, the last leg of the trip. Another hour. And they got one more hour to go to get to, the, to get to the East End. And those ladies are all the sweetest people and the loveliest people. And my wife and I, we, we go on the way out and on the way back in, we always stop there and get something. You know I'm I mean? glad to hear that. Yeah, I will do something for those people. Thank you, <laughs> saying that. No, they're fantastic. Now, when you don't own the store, does it go just as well or when you have less It control? should be agnostic. It should, yeah. Things should be the same. The airports are a little tough because so many people online and people in a rush. You know, sometimes we, we, the customers aren't as the patient. Yeah. Right. What's a company that you see, because I'm sure that, especially when this thing just takes off and becomes this legendary, iconic thing, what's a, what's a company you see that you admire in the, in the even a competitor for that sure. matter, but, but another food service company or something you look at and go, man, I really, I love what those people have done. I think what Danny Meyer's done uh, in New York uh, is, is quite something. Uh, and I think what he's trying to do at Shake Shack is interesting. Uh, not a lot of food companies have scaled very well because it's, it's, it tends, ubiquity is, is, a, is a challenge and it's hard to get big and stay small. So on the food side, um, I, it's, I, my mind immediately goes to other consumer brands like Nike, like Apple, like Disney. I, not a lot of food, national food brands. But some of those food companies are serving your coffee, correct? You have deals with them? Yeah, we have a, we have a real significant partnership with Disney. In fact, we just opened a phenomenal store at the entrance of Shanghai Disney with Bob Iger and I did that together. What about uh, food companies? No, no fast food companies? You don't have any deals to serve Starbucks coffee? Uh, no, we don't really. Well, we have a lot of high-end restaurants who serve our mm -hmm. coffee, but no. I'll never forget. There was a guy who had a little place in Los Angeles. This guy, Dick, his last name will come to me for a moment. I knew him for years. And he owned a place called The Coffee Roaster. And you'd go in there, and he'd tell me an interesting story where he was selling beans. And he goes one day, and he goes to a restaurant that he knows is serving his coffee. And he says to them, um, could I have a cup of coffee? And they bring him the coffee that says his beans, and it was terrible. It was right. rancid because it had been sitting in the burner for too long. And he said, that's when I got out of that business. Because I were, did not want right, other people. control the quality. I couldn't control the quality. Yeah. I respect that decision. Coffee. Oh, my God. It's, but I just thought of a food company I do respect, which is In-N-Out. Why? 
Uh, maintain the quality. Those bathrooms are really clean. <laughs> and maintain the quality and take care of the people. I'm sure you know in and out. Of course. Now, your wife has been with you on yeah. a personal note. Your wife has been with you the whole ride. Whole time. What does your wife think about Question what's my happened? wife. Okay, I, I have a great story for you. Is that okay? Please. Okay. So, uh, you remember I'm raising money for Starbucks in the early days. Sherry, my wife, is pregnant with our first child in 1986. I'm working at Starbucks. We, we, ha- we, we have Ildranali, and I don't have Starbucks yet. I have no salary, and we're not making any money. She's eight months pregnant. She's still working. We're in a rental house in Seattle. Her parents from Lima, Ohio, come out to see us. I love her parents, uh, good people. And her father says, uh, let's, let's take a walk. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I, I had a sense that this is, this is not going to be uh, uh, not going to be good. And we sit down and he said, I, I, I respect everything you've tried to do over the last year. Uh, but let's look at the facts. My daughter's eight months pregnant. She's working. She has a salary. Uh, you have a hobby. No income. And she's going to give birth in a month. It's time to get a job. And I just start to cry. Embarrassed. Humiliated. Uh, and part of me knew what he was saying was right. But I couldn't give it up. So that night... I didn't say anything until that night when we were alone. I said, uh, I had an interesting talk with your father. And Sherry said, there's, there's no way we're giving this up. And if that moment, if she would have said, it's time, we wouldn't be here. Coming up, Howard Schultz explains why Starbucks almost disappeared in 2007. Explore the Here's the Thing archives. Lorne Michaels runs his own kind of empire, and it's all on television. For me, commercial television and those boundaries, I like it. I like that you can't use certain language. I like that you have to be bright enough to figure out how to get your ideas across in that amount of time, with intelligence being the thing that you hope is showing. Take a listen at heresthething.org. This is Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. Howard Schultz runs the world's largest retail coffee company. With more than 25,000 outlets across the globe, that's a lot of business to keep track of. But Schultz says he's able to fit more into his day than most people. For some reason, I don't sleep. You don't? I never require a lot of sleep. So well, why, Do you think that's because of caffeine? <laughs> no, no, it's not well, caffeine. It's, it's not. It's no, not a I never, I never required a lot of sleep. So I'm, I'm, I'm up at 4 a.m. And you go to sleep what time? It depends. But I'm up. I'm just not. I go to bed at 10, but I'm up. I just don't. I don't so sleep. So you sleep. Well. So for you, a good night is five hours. Yeah. That's, that, that, that's yeah. gold. Yeah, that's gold. Yeah. Um, and you don't need a lot of sleep. I'm a, I've been cycling for the last 10 years. That's the only thing I've been able to do because I've had a couple of, of uh, fusion surgeries, neck and back. Wow. And did they help you? The, the surgeries have not helped me. Now, what was wrong with your back? What were the symptoms? Well, oh, I all related to that problem I had when I was 18 and had the jaw problem. How, what, how did that happen? Playing football. Somebody drilled you in the face with a, their helmet? I have they... a blindside sack in which it was a face plant. Yeah. Oh, my God. It wasn't easy. You know, I, I'm a Jewish kid from Brooklyn, so pain, 
uh, total hypochondriac. Anything. Right. I got a cold. I feel like I'm getting pneumonia. Right. Yeah. You know. You can relate to that, yeah. can you? Yeah. If, 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 I, if I get a little headache, I, might, I think I'm a Gershwin. I got a brain tumor. <laughs> I've gone for a brain scan. Yeah, I, I've gone to a brain, a brain scan. Now, you stay when the company is headquartered in Seattle. Yes. And you live there. Yes. You have other homes. Yes. But do you live in Seattle? Is it important for you to stay in Seattle? Do you, do we that, love Seattle. Our kids were born there, but both our kids live in New York, ironically. Right. Is that uh, where you come here a lot? So we're here a lot. Right. Um, but Seattle's a great place, and I, that's where our home is. But uh, when, I, when, I, when I fly into New York, I can already feel the sense of pride and, and belonging. So I'm very much home here. Now, the, now the, the, the Starbucks just expanded in, in East Hampton a couple months ago in the, in the winter right before this, this past summer. And they are just – I mean, I can't even imagine how much – what the grosses are there. It's just, it's it's just a constant, constant. Yeah. And you check and see how stores are performing. Because it, it, it describe for us the evaluative process in which you decide we're going to close that store. We don't close many stores. Right. but uh, So at 5 a.m. every morning – of my life for the last hundred years, <laughs> we get a a report on the data of every single store in the world, basically, and we see what stores are doing versus last week, versus last year, versus budget. And you don't have the time to go over twenty two thousand stores. No, but I have been doing this a long time, so I can. You know how to, how to glean. It's like you reading you a script. Right, right, right. So when you yeah. see. Is it specific to areas? When the ones don't work, why don't they work? Uh, we probably made a mistake with the location, right. which we've done from time to time, but not many times. Right. We, we have a real science about demography. We know where to go. What's the area of the United States or what's a, even one store? What's a place that just blows your mind? What's, what's the all-time champ? Or of name a, a couple of them, of Starbucks. Of store. a store? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we have a f- phenomenal store in in Chicago in Oak and Rush. You know that you know you know Chicago a little or, bit, yeah. Um, most of our stores in Manhattan, I do pretty well. The store in Astor Place is like a high volume store. The store in, in Soho on the corner of Crosby and, and Broadway and Crosby, you know that store. Right. Um, I recently heard Donald Trump say that the store in Trump Tower is the busiest store in the world. Right, of I can you did. promise you right. that is not the case. <laughs> now. Um, do you ever look at this and you think that you're four bad moves away from the whole thing going away? Have you ever seen a company that really, really all of a sudden they just went, poof, they were gone? Well, we, we almost lost the company in 07. How? Uh, hubris and success drove a series of undisciplined mistakes. Now, I, I, wasn't at the, I, wasn't the, I left the CEO job during that period, but I was still— Why? Um, I was bored at the time. I just felt like I had done so many different things, and I, I, I did a couple of things that I wanted to do that I should not have done once I left. What did you do? I bought a basketball team. Which one? Seattle Supersonics. <laughs> you bought the Seattle Supersonics, I which did. you shouldn't have done? No, I shouldn't have done it. Why? Uh, it just was culturally not for me. But you know, I wanted to own the Yankees, but that wasn't going to happen. Are you right. a Yankee fan or a Mets fan? I'm more of a Yankee fan. I mean, the Mets yeah. is hard to root for the Mets. Yeah, I mean, we grew even up. harder to root for the Jets. I grew up a Jets. I'm a Giant fan. fan. I'm a Giant fan now, and, and I, re- I respect the Mets. The Jets, I mean, they just never fail to break. They never get heart. it right. The Jets organizationally have a tough time. You never think they don't want to spend the money. But how long did you own the? Sur- I'm totally ignorant about this. How long I, did I you own the, the Supersonics for five years? Right. And um, and with with it, 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 it didn't turn out well, and it didn't end well. <clears throat> Why? Um, 
I convinced myself that I could uh, apply my talents and my insight and vision onto a professional basketball team and change the culture. And I, I was not able to do it. And you wanted to change it from what to what? I wanted to create an environment in which people played for each other. And I think I was very naive. Right. They don't play for each other. I, I think, this, I think the, the, San, the, the, the Golden State Warriors have proven that they do. Right. I think the San Antonio Spurs do. I, it looks like Belichick and the New England Patriots do. It's a top-down thing. Yeah. I think I, I'm very good friends with Tony La Russa, a baseball manager, who had such great success in St. Louis. And I think he taught that. But as an owner, as an outsider, uh, I don't think I was able to build the kind of trust and confidence uh, that could imprint that. I think if you started from scratch, I could do it. But At the not, time that you did it, did someone whisper to you, don't do this? Were you warned? My wife, Sherry. She told you don't do it. Why, why did she feel that? She way? hated it from the beginning. Uh, just the, the nature of sports writers, um, sports fans, the, the immediate need to win and, and how difficult it is in a small market to, to do that. When you stepped away as CEO, how long did that last? Uh, f- four to five years. During but the I came back to, I never planned to come back, but I, I had to come back as for love and responsibility to try and save the company. We were almost, we almost lost it. And how did that happen? Describe uh, how you would lose the company. Well, we lost about $30 billion in market cap in about a year. As a result of started, what? The reason was bad locations, uh, measuring and rewarding the wrong things, and fracturing the culture of the company. Well, you see, I mean, I don't know anything about business. Yeah. But you would see in New York, for example, that CVS and Dwayne Reed open stores across the street from each other, like within a block. Yeah. They'd have one on every block in a battle to put each other out of business and undercut their prices. It won't last. And there was a time on the Upper West Side, there seemed like there was a Starbucks on every block. Too many, probably. Too many. Yeah. It just seemed yeah. that way. We thought, oh, this must be a move for them to just kill all the competition. You know what I mean? But if you break business down, it's pretty simple. It really is. You, you, you have to have a, re, a, a vision and a real core purpose and reason for being. You have to recognize that success is best when it's shared. And you got to create a culture and a set of values where people feel like they're part of something larger than themselves. You treat people with great respect. You exceed the expectations of your people so they can exceed the expectations of the customer. That's it. Who was, whose idea was it for you to come back? Mine. You did. You, you, you I, came I knew, to them. I it was, knew it. And they welcomed you. They said, please. Uh, the media and the Wall Street analysts wrote seething stories, said, how could you possibly bring him back? He was the problem from the beginning. I have all those headlines. I put them in a drawer. A, the, it was brutal. And even some people in the company said, no, not, not him. And then there were some people on the board who thought, we need a professional manager. We need a real professional. And, uh, and was the task in the beginning closing a lot of stores? We closed 1,000 stores within six months of me returning, all that had opened in less than a year. That's how bad the just mistakes were. Yeah. We just uh, – and I had to make some very tough decisions. But here we are. I mean, and, and what period of time does the $30 billion loss of market cap, that reverses itself over what period of time? You're there for how long when you come back? Before uh, I came back in January of 08, so I've been back eight years, uh, almost nine, I guess. We lost more, that market cap from 07 to 09, 08, 09, came back and started coming back in, old, in 2011, and then today, uh, as good as it's ever been. Right. Right. But success at this level is very fragile. 
and I worry all the time. Well, I mean, I remember when I was a kid, you'd see chains of food companies that are gone. You know, yeah. They might not have been yeah. big monoliths like, yeah. like a McDonald's, but there was Hardee's right. and there was uh, Wetson's yeah. and there was other companies, and they're just gone. Remember the Walkman? Right. Blackberry. Do you ever fear that? All the time. You do. And that's why I think we're, you know, part of the reason why I think we're successful is Andy Grove, who was the head of Intel, Intel once said, only the paranoid survive. Well, I want to just, I want to do what I can because I'm a Starbucks fan to make my contribution <laughs> to ensure the success of Starbucks. And as I said to you before, off mic when we were outside, you got to bring back prison cake. I mean, <laughs> when I was in New Orleans, we were shooting We got to find out what it was. You got to find out. This one cake, we called it prison cake because it was a kind of an oatmeal loaf. It had no glaze on it, no drizzle on it, with very low sugar. You didn't feel guilty. In my pre-diabetic nightmare, I wanted my coffee and I wanted my prison cake. And then, what the was prison, it? And then we've got you. I'm, not, well, I'm we asking you. <laughs> That's why we brought you here. Okay, we're gonna find you. You guys had prison cake. It was like an oatmeal loaf, yeah. and it's gone, or oat loaf, or something, and it was gone. And I thought, how could you do that to me? I can't eat what that other stuff. Ninety-four. Okay, that's a long time ago. It's well, a long time okay. ago, but you were there. Yeah. This was on your watch, Howard Schultz. You killed prison cake. <laughs> okay. I expect you brought your team, your crack team with you here. I hope they're on the prison cake hunt as we I'm speak. sure they're searching we as go. we speak. <laughs> if I don't find out. <laughs> or maybe not. I never heard back from Starbucks about the origin of prison cake. That said, they have been busy with the launch of their new video and podcast series called Upstanders. What basically we've done is we went out and we found these people and we created podcasts like we're doing here. We created 2,500 uh, word essays on each one of them, five-minute video stories that are now embedded in Starbucks mobile app. And basically, we're doing everything we can to shine a light on the fact that citizens across the country are really the real story. Over the last few years, I've been super critical of the fracturing of leadership and the lack of um, responsibility by elected officials in Washington, how dysfunctional and polarized it's been. But having said that, every day people wake up all over America, in every city, doing great things. And I want to tell those stories, and I'm going to use Starbucks and our scale and our platform to share the upstanders, that's a great idea. and that's what we're doing. We've got a great response to show how great the people in this country really are. You know? Yes. Have you ever thought of running? I have thought about that, but not, not now. Is, not now means maybe some other time? Maybe. Maybe. That'd be a great idea. Howard Schultz, CEO of Starbucks. You can view and listen to the Upstanders series on the Starbucks mobile app. I'm Alec Baldwin, and this is Here's the Thing from WNYC Studios.